This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. If you are looking for more coverage of the Old East Village explosion, you can go to globalnews.ca and there's some tremendous stuff done by Matthew Trevithick and Jacqueline LaBelle and Nick Van Overloop and others who have put together a lot of comprehensive where are they now and have taken us back through some of those events. I also want to get to something that John had emailed about another explosion from years and years ago. But even before we can do that, just after 7 o'clock this morning, London Fire Department tweeted that there was an active incident. Crews were on the scene of an apartment fire at the 645 Street on Marshall Street. It's closed to traffic. We also had some, you know, another thing going on where there was another active incident and one involved a car going into a house and affecting a gas line. Joining us right now to talk about all that is going on is London Fire Department Platoon Chief Sean Fitzgerald. Thanks so much for taking some time. Can you go back to the incident this morning that somehow, at least in, in the minds when you when you say just a few details about it, seems to resemble something that happened exactly a year ago? What took place? Uh, fire crews were sent to a report of a vehicle that had struck a house uh, with a gas line severed and a person trapped inside the vehicle. Uh, this this oh. sounds almost identical to August the 14th of 2019. When you hear a call like this come in, do you think, wait a minute, wait a minute, there's something in the system's replaying something here? Uh, that was a comment that I was given by our public information coordinator. She thought that this was just somehow some kind of replay. Um, 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 uh, an email that was released a year later or something. It was just bizarre to to have happened. And yet, this was an active incident? This was ongoing? Where was this taking place? Uh, this occurred on Gray Street uh, between Colburn and Waterloo. So Gray Street between Colburn and Waterloo, and a vehicle had gone into a house, severed a gas line, and someone was trapped inside the vehicle. What do we know about what took place in the moments after that? Uh, when fire crews arrived, they, they quickly assessed the scene, uh, noting that there was nobody within the vehicle. Um, so there was no extrication required. Uh, the fire crews quickly turned it over to an evacuation situation, confirming that there was a natural gas leak indeed. And uh, we evacuated the entire block, north and south side of Gray, between Colburn and Waterloo. Uh, London police were very helpful in assisting us in that evacuation as well. We are talking right now with London Fire Department Platoon Chief Sean Fitzgerald. Platoon Chief Fitzgerald, when natural gas is involved, can you outline some of the urgency that exists on scene and some of the things that almost have to be done as soon as possible? Uh, we, we certainly contact Enbridge to try and get the gas line shut down. Uh, but in the meantime, before their arrival, uh, we, we monitor houses for gas levels. Um, gas is safer venting into the atmosphere because it does not get contained as if it's leaking inside of a structure. Uh, if it's inside a structure, then the gas level builds to its explosive range. Uh, you need a certain percentage of gas mixed with air for it to be explosive. So if it's venting outside, it's relatively safer 
if you will. It can certainly more, it, it can ignite, but it would burn instead of being an explosion. And, and that was the situation in this in this case. It was venting into the atmosphere, so it was safer than a, the Woodman Ave situation, if, if, if you want to say it's safer. Right. You don't want it happening at all, but if it has to happen, hopefully it's happening in the, the less dangerous way. What can you tell us about the homeowners and the individuals who were evacuated along that street? Have they been allowed to return to their homes? Yeah, they've, they've been re- uh, allowed to return now. Um, the, the city responds by getting an LTC bus on scene rather quickly. Uh, just another one of our partner agencies helping out. Um, providing shelter for the people to get them out of, uh, if, if it's raining or a cold winter day. In this case, it was kind of warm, uh, just to provide some shelter while they're evacuated. Hmm. And with what is going on during this pandemic and COVID-19 precautions, is that an extra element for things like an LTC bus arriving on scene, making sure people are still remembering to do everything we're supposed to do? Uh, absolutely. It's just another element. Uh, we we call for more buses because there's limited seating because of COVID restrictions. Uh, so we do request more buses than what we uh, normally would. Platoon Chief Fitzgerald, anything else to add with regard to what it might still be active at that scene? Uh, that scene is is pretty much cleared up. Uh, uh, the the Enbridge uh, arrived on scene rather quickly, uh, shut the gas lines down. Uh, then there's a, a period of time for the gas that's left in the broken line to vent. Uh, the fire department uh, monitors for gas levels inside homes, uh, ventilates any that there is gas inside the home possibly, and then we return residents to their homes. Uh, the gas line, I believe, is capped off at this time. If not, it should be capped off shortly. And capped off would mean what? Uh, just plugging where, where the break is. Uh, in this case, it was an above-ground break. Um, in the event where a break occurs underground, um, in a dig, it could take longer to, to find the, the leak and cap it. But, but this, uh, th- this scene played out fairly quickly, maybe a couple hours in total time uh, from when we got called to when residents were returned to their homes. What are the odds that something like this would happen on the anniversary of what we saw last year on August 14th, 2020? They are long. That much we do know. Platoon Chief Fitzgerald, thank you so much for the update on this situation. Be safe. Thank you very much. That is London Fire Department Platoon Chief Sean Fitzgerald. So on Gray Street, a year later, you have a vehicle driving into a house, severing a gas line. Fortunately, the gas was ventilating into the air, into the atmosphere, and not inside a structure, whereas Platoon Chief Fitzgerald says it can build and potentially explode. As far as the investigation, how the car got there, why the car was there, that's ongoing, and that's being handled by London Police Services. But one year to the day? Really? In a minute, we'll get to something that John has emailed in about an explosion going back to maybe the 70s, he figured, maybe... Maybe we can add some pieces to this and an explosion that people find still very memorable to this day in London, Ontario. Back to school. Back to school. It's coming. And in having it arrive, there are still a lot of questions that people have. And we've been dealing a lot with elementary school and secondary school 
and we'll get questions answered, hopefully, from the education minister in less than a half hour from now, so stick around. But we have post-secondary students coming back to school and back to live in London, Ontario. And so let's kind of get a sense of how things are going at Fanshawe College when we talk about welcoming students back to school this year. Darlene O'Neill is Fanshawe's Director of Employment and Student Entrepreneurial Services. Darlene, thanks so much for being here. How are you doing on a Friday? Thanks, Mike. I'm happy to be here. Let's kind of look at uh, at how things are feeling around the college because as much as it's back to school for students who will start classes in September, there's kind of been a back to school all summer. You've already welcomed students back on campus, right? We did. We had a uh, two-week winter recovery um, a week ago, and everything went really great. Well, that's good to hear. What sorts of things were happening at this recovery, the winter recovery for students who had to have their classes stopped as the pandemic began and things had to shut down and still needed to do some hands-on things, what was different for them this summer that may not have been the way it was when they were last at the college? Yeah, great question, Mike. Um, so the things that were different for the students, of course, was the enhanced safety protocols that Fanshawe uh has incorporated across the campus. Things like um, active screening at various entrances that um, were the only entrances that were open for students, increased cleaning protocols, uh, very decreased class sizes, barriers in classrooms uh, where physical distancing is not possible, barriers were put in place. Um, all students have to take a COVID uh, safety course. So PPE, of course, personal protective equipment, lots and lots of safety protocols. And, of course, not as many students on, on campus as we typically have at Fanshawe. Well, that's about to change as we head towards September. But overall, how did things go? Was it, you know, as planned, here are the instructions, everybody follows the instructions, and away you go? Yeah, it was actually, it was a seamless uh, process, and everybody followed the rules. Um, everybody um, uh, engaged in all of the safety protocols and safety measures that were in place. Uh, staff were fully trained as active screeners before students actually arrived. So um, we were very, very happy with what happened uh, this month at Fanshawe. So let's look ahead. Now you're going to have maybe a larger influx in terms of online versus in-person. How is that being handled at Fanshawe come September? Yeah, so um, half of our programs at Fanshawe coming in September are going to be fully delivered online. So anything that's a theoretical type program, we're able to move that to an online format, and that will continue. Um other, the other programs will be uh, theory pieces delivered online and the in-class, the actual applied learning pieces where labs are required, um, that will be delivered on campus. Uh, but again, we do have all the safety protocols in place. Uh, class sizes will be decreased. Study hours will be um, enhanced so that the... Uh, college will be open longer hours and delivering um, classes longer hours to accommodate the students. 
And all of our services, so counseling, accessibility, career development, um, all those types of services, they will still be uh, delivered in a virtual format. We are talking with Darlene O'Neill, Fanshawe's Director of Employment and Student Entrepreneurial Services, about the return to school at Fanshawe in September. So if everything's going to be, uh, for some students, on a pretty virtual setting, how do you make sure everybody's got what they need to take over a virtual learning course load? Right. So uh, we've developed uh, we've developed magnificent support for our faculty as well as our students to engage in virtual learning as well as engaging in virtual employment. Um, I'll just put that plug in there for my employment services. Um, so everybody will be uh, mostly asynchronous or synchronous learning. Um, Again, uh, there's open office hours, there's online appointment av- availability. Uh, we're doing everything we possibly can to make sure that students feel engaged. We've got peer mentorship programs started up. Uh, we're um, really, really thinking about um, making the students' experience at Fanshawe as rich as it always is. Well, we appreciate the description, and here's hoping that the instructions get followed and, and we kind of continue on and and we can deliver education the way it needs to be delivered. Darlene, thanks so much for updating us on how things are going. Have a great weekend, and please keep safe. You too, Mike. Thank you so much. That's Darlene O'Neill, Fanshawe's Director of Employment and Student Entrepreneurial Services. And one of the keys in there... And I'm being completely serious about this. One of the keys in what Darlene said was following instructions. This is going to be absolutely key as students return. In a moment, I want to describe what a student bubble, you know, our circle of trust, you know how we're still supposed to keep those small, keep your social circles small, right? I want to describe the complexity of that for students and how this is going to be a challenge for our community, but it's going to come down to people who are 18, 19, 20, 21 years old to follow the instructions. Here's hoping they do. We know that there are a lot of things that are difficult to do and a lot of things that we've had to see changes for in order to get them done. So an idea that used to work, you all of a sudden put it within those lines that COVID-19 creates. Yeah, it's not working out in exactly the same way, but that does not mean that it is not working out at all. Some very creative minds have been able to take some things and Make them brand new again. And that is happening right now in a little something that is helping out Bethany's hope. And we're lucky enough to have with us Dave McIntyre from Bethany's Hope. Dave, thanks so much for being here. Good afternoon, uh, Mike. It's good to talk to you. Good to talk to you again. How are things going? Well, Lindy and I are over here in the bubble on Queens Avenue trying to survive this uh, this. Um, nightmare i guess you could call it for not yeah, only that's, but, uh, so many other nonprofits, companies you name it it's been a long four, four or five months but 
you know, with the cancellation of uh, four of our our cornerstone projects, our gala, our golf tournament with Tiger Jacks, and uh, the gala's been canceled twice. And that that's that's what feeds that research here in London. So, um, in 2017, we started looking at uh, Chase the Ace, which is uh, if you're from the Maritimes, everyone from the Maritimes, including myself, knows how how great the Chase the Ace uh, games are for hockey arenas, for social clubs, for you name it. And uh, we went down and investigated that, Lindy and I, in, in uh, Sydney, Nova Scotia. And we happened to be there the night they, they drew the $1.7 million ace from the deck. And some young family was uh, changed their lives forever. But, you know, the money went right upstairs to the uh, community centre and they built a brand-new pad. Uh, you know, they made $1.7 million as well. So... We tried for a couple of years to do a paper version of this, which would have meant a lot of volunteers in the in the, the malls and in the arenas and in the whatever trying to sell sell tickets and then do uh, a social event on the weekend to do the draw. And uh, so we kind of had to put that on on the shelf because we just didn't have enough capacity volunteer wise to do it, you know, to do that in our other traditional fundraising events. So. About three or four months ago, in the middle of this uh, pandemic, in fact, it was just after it started, we got an email from our uh, friends at uh, Sick Kids Hospital in Toronto, where Bethany was diagnosed in 1995. In fact, today would mark the 25th anniversary of that. That's why it was so significant to kick this this project, catch the ace off on, on today's date. So... We found that they were doing this, and little did we know that there's an online version allowed by the AGCO, and uh, we applied, and uh, we got our license. So here we are in the first first uh, hour uh, of uh, sales, and we're already up to a jackpot of $165. Hey, and you know what? That's only going to climb, and you mentioned that Catch the Ace out in the Maritimes. There were pictures of that there was video of that people were lining up it seemed down roads to get in on this i mean this is kind of swept that area didn't it it did and uh, all the little communities it wasn't just the bigger centers we went to sydney and of course we went to st john and halifax but a lot of the little centers our son was with the rcmp in inverness and they actually had to uh, come in with helicopters to take the money out of the community because the roads were blocked with everybody coming down to play the game. So a very good way, and it was a big social event too down there. So this is a little bit different. We teamed up with a, a gaming supplier that is accredited by AGCO called Bump 5050, and they they do all of the, uh, like the Toronto Blue Jays with their uh, online 5050 draws and that kind of stuff. So you know, it was Lindy and I in the office and, uh, and uh, you know, running around with our Molly, the mascot, and trying to generate a little interest in this. But, uh, you know, it's a, uh, an opportunity for, it's a win-win-win. You know, we can continue on with the research. We're so close to a clinical trial and they sort of had the, got kneecap there a few months ago where we had to close the lab and, and of course, the funding capacity has taken a hit as well. Dave McIntyre joining us from Bethany's Hope. And, Dave, you mentioned it was 25 years ago that Bethany was diagnosed with metachromatic leukodystrophy. Can you take us through what that disorder is, saying that you were very close to clinical trials and and so still are very close to clinical trials? What exactly is metachromatic leukodystrophy? 
it is a myelin disease that affects both the peripheral and the central nervous system. So these children are born completely normal. Bethany was our seventh. And, um, you know, she had a little bit of uh, delay in, in walking, but, you know, the pediatrician says, oh, she'll, she'll uh, start walking, don't worry about it. So we went to Toronto on a, on a promotion and a transfer with the force and uh, kept going. Lindy took her to I don't know how many appointments and kept eliminating things. And finally at Sick Kids Hospital, you know, this, this old doctor who was shaking as much as Bethany at the time and said she has metachromatic leukodystrophy. And, of course, I thought, wow, finally we have an answer, so we're just going to need some therapy and that kind of stuff. And, you know, you're quite flippant at that time. It's not, it's not fatal, right? And when, when they didn't answer, that's when it sunk in and uh, was, a, say, a long trip home. But leukodystrophy, there's no, there's no cure. And, uh, you know, Bethany fought a brave fight for five years. We lost her in 2000. But there's so many other children around the world that when, when that happened to us and so many wonderful people in this community that were helping us out, we just couldn't stop at that point and, and not continue on in the research. So God bless uh, the London Home Builders, Rembrandt Homes. We were able to open that lab in 1999 uh, here in London, and it continues for the last 25 years thanks to, thanks to her her. Uh, legacy and 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 the others that have joined her. If you look at the at the landing page for Bethany's Ace.ca, these are real pictures. There's Bethany and Lindy and and these other children, Athena from Boston. They're real real children that have touched us over the years. And it's a terrible disease. And uh, you know, there's just uh, not enough work being done. You get into that rare category, and there's a lot of pressure right now, obviously for for medical science and, and rare diseases aren't, aren't one of them. We're talking with Dave McIntyre from Bethany's Hope, and Dave just gave the website bethanyshope.org, and you can go and find out about Catch the Ace. You can get in on it. For anybody who may have seen, you know, we talked about the video images of everybody lining up for Catch the Ace that grew so big in the Maritimes. Dave, describe how this works and how we do get involved. Well, it's a progressive 50-50 draw, so uh, uh, 20% of the weekly sales uh, will go to the winner, which will be picked weekly. So next Friday at 12 o'clock, the ticket sales end for week one. We'll pick a number, randomly pick the, uh, it will be a number generator by the, our uh, gaming supplier, and they'll pick the, one of the numbers from that, and uh when you buy your tickets, it's uh, 3 for 10, uh, 20 for 20, uh, 50 for 50, and you select a, uh, an envelope where you think the ace, uh, ace, the ace of spades would be hiding. And um, when the ticket is drawn uh, on next Friday, if it's not the ace of spades, we'll continue on to week two. 30% of the weekly sales will go into a progressive pot, and 20% will be given to the so the lucky winner whose name was drawn, but or ticket was drawn, but they didn't get the ace of spades. They got the queen of diamonds or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it continues on until, until they find the ace. And uh, the pot keeps building. In fact, last night, after 27 weeks, they found, uh, found the ace of spades in Sick Kids Hospital in Toronto. And it was the envelope number three, and the winner got 950000 something like that. And uh, But... As importantly, 
the Children's Hospital got 900000 So we're hoping we have a win-win and, uh, and everybody enjoys the game. It's just a fun way to play and uh, uh, painless. You know, Bethany's ace.ca, and you can select all the information about the foundation, what we're doing is all down on a, on a pull-down menu. So before you even make that uh, choice, whether to buy a ticket, you can find out about what we're doing with the proceeds of the, of the lottery. Great. Bethany's ace.ca and so close to clinical trials. Dave, continue everything you have been working so hard for, and we'll get through this pandemic, and uh, and then we'll find a cure and we'll change a lot of lives in the process. Thanks so much for the time, and keep safe. We appreciate Take care. Take care. Bye. Anytime. We'll have more information about that on our website at globalnews.ca this weekend. That's Dave McIntyre from Bethany's Hope. You've been listening to the London Live podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3.